So my dudes, <laughs> if you watch Stranger Things, uh, you know what that means. My dudes, you know who said that? I have a Stranger Things mug in front of me. So mornings are for coffee and contemplation. So what's up, my dudes? Uh, welcome to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 212. And uh, today we're talking to Keith Giles about his latest book, Sola Mysterium. Celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything. And you're going to want to go get this book, okay? If you've been tracking with the podcast at all, you have noticed a significant shift, I think, in my thinking. Uh, I think in my approach to faith and God and the divine and the universe and all the different things. Uh, I've really been exploring this idea, uh, number one, that everything is connected in some way like we're all we're all god breathed right i mean all of creation has the breath of god pulsating through it and so as we're all different particles of god's breath we're all one we're all connected but also this idea that that the divine that god doesn't live in some faraway land god isn't found in some some place in space and heaven. God isn't found in a book. God isn't found in the latest guru or teacher. God isn't found in this or that church. God, the divine, is within you. And there's a voice inside that's constantly talking to you. And learning to tune yourself to that voice and be able to listen to it for direction, for wisdom, that's where I've been lately. That's where I've been exploring. And, and this stuff is, is all in the history of the Christian faith, right? Like this isn't like new age stuff. Like this is stuff that dates back to the first, second centuries of the Christian faith. Even before Christianity was a thing, these ideas were, were floating around the uh, followers of, of Christ. And so anyway, Keith unpacks all this kind of stuff in this book. This book is wild. I'm going to have to read it again. Uh, I had a PDF copy he sent me before it was published so I could prepare for an interview. And now I have a physical copy, so I'm going to go through and read it again and highlight some stuff because it's really, really good. Uh, so I'm going to put the link in the show notes on Amazon. Uh, go pick it up. Also, the link to my book, Rethinking Everything, uh, my journey from a world of black and white thinking to a great wide world of color, uh, also in the show notes. Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. Listen, if this thing has helped you at all, if this podcast has helped you in your faith, I'm asking you, please consider giving to the show. Anywhere from $3 a month all the way up to whatever it is that you feel that you want to give. And I will tell you that the Patreon structure is changing in the fall. Uh, the tiers that are up there now that you'll see, they, they are irrelevant. Uh, in the fall, every tier will get the same reward. It will be all about community, uh, Discord chat group, uh, book studies, Zoom hangouts, all different ways that you can meet people uh, who live in various spots of the world who are going through their own uh, faith evolutions and their faith journey. You will meet people to be partners on your journey. That is the goal. That will be the goal of Patreon going forward. So anyway, if this has encouraged you, helped you, inspired you, please consider giving to the show uh, and becoming part of those communities starting in September. There are a couple things going on now to kind of pilot some different things. 
Um, so you can sign up for Patreon, send me a message, say, hey, I'd like to jump into community in some way, shape, or form. I will have things for you <laughs> to be part of uh, for sure. Uh, so I'll put the link to it in the show notes. And our special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. I use his music every week. He doesn't have a huge selection. It's not like the Beatles where he has like thousands of songs. He's a, he's a, a solo artist doing amazing work in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. I really appreciate him, his encouragement, his wisdom, his heart, his love uh, for people, his support of this podcast, the way he has encouraged me. He's been a really good friend. We used to work together at Apple, and uh, he is a good a good dude. <laughs> so I'll put his links in the show notes, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, and all the things. So all that to say, my friends, again, episode number 212 with the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Keith Giles. Enjoy. Patience paid off, now it's go time. go time. No worries all around me, I'ma get mine. Born in the Queen City, got the 4-9. Go to Green Trip, told me where the cosign. So people doubted me, that's close to me, that's their regret. When I make it, I'ma take it, all I do is rest. Remain grinding, self-care, that's when I'm at my best. A little crazy, that's when I'm at a test. Fill it too. Yeah, we riding, yeah, we rolling. All the way to the ocean, uh. I thought Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with our friend Keith Giles to talk about his brand new book, Sola Mysterium, and it's subtitled Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of everything and so keith uh welcome back to the show i think this is like your third visit like at this point we start handing out free subs at subway or something i don't know <laughs> yeah i gotta punch my, i punch my card right exactly <laughs> exactly awesome. so welcome well, back it's good to, be, good to have hey, you here glenn thank you man it's so great to be back on your podcast thank you uh, and i'm loving what you've been doing you and i were talking before we hit record i think we're on similar journeys at the moment and uh yeah man love what you're doing Awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, that said, let's let's jump in this book, this book that you wrote. Um, where do I even begin? <laughs> what I will say is, <laughs> what I will say is this: I've read just about all of your books, with the exception of I, I think like two in the Jesus Un series. I don't remember which ones, but I think there's two I miss. But this book, I think by far, my most humble opinion, and it's my podcast, so my opinion really is the only one that matters. <laughs> is I think this is your most important book. Like, I feel yeah. like, I feel like this book is not just marking, um, like a, a point or a shift maybe in your own faith development, but I think, uh, what is really a shift in the future of the Christian faith, almost tapping way back into some roots that we've forgotten mm-hmm. about. So would you agree? It's just like a big book for you. Oh, it's, it is a huge book for me. Yes, exactly. Glenn. And thank you for saying that, man. It means a lot. I uh, appreciate it. You know, because like I, I felt that way, but then I kind of put it's my baby, and I put it out there, and I'm I'm hoping other people read it and feel the same way. So, yeah, I mean, when I you know I just finished this Jesus Un series, a seven book series, and I'm proud of that. I really am, and that chronicles really my journey through my deconstruction. And I know it. I know it's been helpful for a lot of people. Hopefully, it continues to be helpful for a lot of mm-hmm. people that are that are just beginning their deconstruction journey and have questions about you know uh, hell hell or penal substitution or uh, the end times or whatever, you know, the different, um, all the things. Topics that I yeah. All the things, <laughs> all the things, but, all but the things. this, but this really, this book 
is really for the person who, I think it's the most natural progression from out of that series, because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, okay, well, after I've answered all these questions and after we've dealt with all these, you know, um, challenges, now what, you know, and, and this really is, really is a book for people that have read through those, those things and, and wrestled with those questions and now kind of reaches this sort of like, now what kind of place, at least I did. And it, it's very true to where I am. Um, you know, it's, it, I wrote this book really just as I was processing my own journey, uh, out of deconstruction into what reconstruction might look like. And, um, and I, and I was just became convinced, you know, the, the sort of the thesis of the book, um, you know, theology should be a discussion about what we don't know about God, because mm-hmm. that's everything. We don't know. We know, like, it, it, we, we act like so much, so many times in theology, we act like we have it all figured out and certainly when it comes to God and, and <laughs> I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody that does that. Keith. Certainly I've never done that. Oh, <laughs> no, no one does that. Right. <laughs> but all of our debates, all of our arguments yeah. uh, seem to be based on this place of certainty and we're just really not certain and and i think embracing mystery is really uh it's the most honest thing you Mm -hmm. know just to be honest to be just just be honest with ourselves that we don't know and we think and we hope and we believe but Mm -hmm. um but those things are in flux at least for me i've changed my mind on so many things over the years and it's that has just helped me to recognize i've got to deconstruct my need to be right And I need to embrace the uncertainty and the mystery because I think we're always going to be in that place of mystery and uncertainty. And, uh, and that's good. That's actually okay. It should give you comfort. It shouldn't scare you. It should be like, Oh, good. (laughs) That's right. Totally agree. And I think for, for me, like you were, like you said, your book, your, your other books answer so many of the big questions that a lot of people have. Like for me, deconstruction started with hell. And so you have a book that addresses that whole topic and for other people it's the end times or whatever but each one of those book kind of addresses one of those bigger topics then your next book kind of leads you into you know the next issue you might be tackling but this book to your point I think really helps kind of set the stage for okay I've answered some of these questions like I feel I have some answers to the bigger things and the smaller things I'm asking but like now what do I do (laughs) if I'm not going to be anymore (laughs) if I'm not going to hold on to this this certainty about, you know, the Bible is infallible and it's inerrant, all these different things. Like, what am I going to do now? I think that this mm-hmm. book is the stepping stone into that. So let's start with the, the title, uh, Sola Mysterium. Uh, what on yes. earth, what on earth does this mean? Because when I first picked up the book, having really no idea what it was going to be about, when I saw Sola, I was like, Sola Scriptura. Then it started to like twitch a little bit because that was like <laughs> a big thing when I was <laughs> in seminary. And then Mysterium, I don't know why I made me think of like the Scooby-Doo mystery machine. So, so let's start there. Like I've read the book, so the fog has lifted a little bit for me, but for our listeners who might be wondering, what does Sola Mysterium uh, mean? Well, yeah, that's great. Um, I wrestled a lot with this title, and mm-hmm. um, I'll just say briefly, it, it, the, the title Sola Mysterium is meant to evoke uh, and maybe provoke a little bit, um, you know, call back to those solas of, of Martin Luther's, you know, Sola Scriptura, Sola Fida, um, these solas of the Protestant Reformation. And um, so I wanted, I wanted to, I definitely call back to that and echo that and have that in people, the back of people's minds. But instead of sola scriptura or sola fide or sola Christus to say sola mysterium, I want to say only mystery. Like it's, it really is all about a mystery, right? And, um, but I have to, I have to say a little, a little, I want to be very honest because some people who may know Latin will right away catch the fact that that is incorrect Latin. 
And uh, when I sent this book out for different people to get reactions, David Bentley Hart, this, uh, this is exactly, I put this in the book at the beginning of the book. Um, his response was that this was gibberish. <laughs> and in Latin, it means, it doesn't mean what I want it to mean. Mm. So um, uh, again, but that's okay. Cause I, I, I realized, I finally decided, you know, I just want to call it Sola Mysterium. And I, most of my readers don't speak Latin. So other right. than David Bentley. It's my Hart, book. Right. <laughs> it's my book, damn it. And I, that's what I want to call it. That's right. So uh, yeah, he said, you know, it's uh, because you have to, the, 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 um, the word uh, mysterium, you know, is, I guess it's feminine or something. And so I'm supposed to either say solum mysterium or solo mysterio. I didn't like either one of those. I like solo mysterium. So, so the hell with it. That's what I'm going to call it. That's right. <laughs> but that's what the title is meant to, uh, to evoke. And I mm -hmm. think it will in most people. And then the subtitle, right? Celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything, not just theology. Cause I, I try to go into the book and point out that it isn't just God or theology that we really um, should have this humility about and uncertainty about. It's really kind of everything, science, mm. um, our own, what we see, what we hear, our own memories. So much of it is kind of unreliable and not certain at all. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of put people back on their heels a little bit and, and even question what we think we think we know. You really kind of don't know, and you are you are not really certain really about anything. Yeah. Um, and again, I know that's scary for a lot of people. Some of yeah. the readers of my I'm doing a book promo team at the moment. People reading advanced copies of the book, and one of the guys actually he was he was messaging me like every ten minutes. I'm not joking. <laughs> and he was saying things like, "I'm sweating. I'm crying. I don't know why I'm crying. Am I? Is it fear? Is it joy? Mm. And um, I'm hyperventilating. And I'm like, dude, put the book down. Put the book away. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not insured for this. I, I don't right. want to cause you any sort of, you know, existential <laughs> crisis. That's not my point or my purpose. Yeah. So some people might not be ready for this. Like mm -hmm. I, I might be pushing them a little too far. I hope not. Mm -hmm. But, um, mm -hmm. but I think for a lot of the, the, the most reactions that I've gotten are people that are like, yes, you know, this is, this makes sense. This is, this really feels more like where they also feel like they're going, which is going, moving into this, really this beautiful mystery of God that mm. God is way bigger than we could ever figure out or define. That's right. um, and it's not about that. We should, mm. we should be moving away from defining God as if we have God all figured out and in a box or in a book. Yep. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's what this book can accomplish on the positive side is uh, help people become a little more comfortable with mystery. Good. Yeah. I think it was Rob Bell who said that, you know, once you have God figured out, you're no longer dealing with God, God's no yes. longer the one you're dealing with because you know how how could how could we possibly understand uh, you know an infinite being like like God? So I have a lot yeah. of things I want to ask you, Keith, and my yeah. my PDF Great. copy is highlighted. I have all different highlights in there, <laughs> notes, everything. I'm like, oh my goodness, this interview. Where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? So I'm gonna do my best to kind of contain my my questions around certain certain parts, and then I want to give you kind of at the end kind of the opportunity to share something maybe that we didn't cover from the book, because like you said, we, you cover spiritual stuff, you cover science stuff, you bring it all together. So can't possibly cover it all in 40 minutes, but we'll see, we'll see where we go. Uh, does that sound good? That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's okay, good. Cool. So my favorite chapter was chapter three and uh, for our listeners, it's called deconstructing our need to be right. And on the yeah. first uh, page you have uh, of the chapter, you have this really uh, good quote, something really important that I want our, our listeners to hear. So I'm going to, I'm going to read it uh, for them. And I have it on my screen. Okay, here it is. 
uh, in a Christianity where the gospel is about having the right information about God, the greatest heresy is to be wrong. It's also why it's so easy for us to separate ourselves from people who hold different beliefs than our own, because if they are wrong or if they disagree with us, that means that they're heretical and that gives us permission to break fellowship with them. Because under these assumptions, our agreement is the basis for our unity, not love. It's that last part that really grabs me. Our agreement is the basis for our unity, not love. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about this, maybe expand on it, whatever direction you want to go, because I feel like a lot of our listeners, a lot of the conversation I've been having with people, especially on the side who message me or email me, is that they're in this space where they're being pushed out. They feel like they're being pushed out. They're being outcast. They're being maybe even flat out ghosted by family, friends, uh-huh. old church friends, because they no longer agree or you know believe the same things as the rest of the tribe. And so where, where they once thought that like they were united to this group because of, you know, it was love and we all love each other. You know, we're all part of the body of Christ, all these things. They now realize that they were more united to that group because of the common belief that they once shared. And now that that common belief is gone, they're left to kind of feel, feel alone. And it's, it's like almost like people love them for what they believed because they shared our same belief as opposed to really loving them for, for who they are. And that's a devastating thing, I think, to come to realize and to come to understand. So maybe you could speak to us more about that whole idea and this specific part of the book. Well, yeah, I, I felt like I needed to start the book a little bit with just pointing that out, just like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing these, um, I started a couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago, I started this group called Square One, and it runs for 12 weeks, and it, it just, uh, I, I spend time walking with groups of people, like 15 to 20 people at a time, usually, and we just walk through one week at a time, uh, different aspects of deconstruction, and we deal with this right off the bat, actually, we deal with forgiveness, because we recognize we've been hurt, and why have we been hurt, well, we've been rejected, why are we rejected, well, because we were part of communities that we thought were based on love and we're in the family you're it's family right we use all this language uh, but then we then we have this very sad horrific discovery that oh 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 that was extremely conditional um we didn't tell you that right we, what we really what you find out is unfortunately that uh, as you said um your being welcomed into this faith community um is conditional on you agreeing with this statement of faith and the minute you right. question any of these things you're out and um, and so what you just read, the quote you just read was my realization of why that happens. And I think it's because we we've had this really it's a it's a bad shift. I mean, it's a it's a shift away from thinking of the gospel as what I think it should be, which is transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have now shifted in evangelical Christianity to we firmly believe that the gospel is about having the right information. And, and as soon as you shift to. You know, being a Christian means you have the right information about God. You answer these questions correctly. Well, then, as I said in the quote, then the greatest heresy is to is to be wrong about something. And then that gives us permission then to say, oh, you're a heretic or, you know, you you've left the faith because you disagree with me on one of these points of doctrine, which is, again, it's so arbitrary. It's so self-referential to behave that way, because what you're when, when someone says that to you you're a heretic, right? We talk about this on our podcast, Heretic Happy Hour, all the time. It's nonsensical because like, okay, so you call me a heretic because I disagree with you on one of these doctrines that you are convinced 
you know, this is what this information is the right information about God and about theology. But you understand when you're calling me a heretic because I disagree with you on that, this guy, the guy down the street thinks you're a heretic because you disagree with his list. Sure, sure. And it's sure. it's so sure. arbitrary. And uh, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the, the quote from George Carlin, the comedian, right? He mm -hmm. says, you know, have you ever noticed when you're driving on the freeway, if someone's driving slower than you, they're a moron. And if someone's driving faster than you, they're insane. Right. And it's true. But what what that points out is how self-referential we are. That perspective basically assumes that whatever I'm doing is correct and normal and true. And I'm not wrong. Therefore, you must be. Yeah. And theologically, we do the same thing, right? If somebody um, is progressive, they're faster, they're ahead of us on the road. They believe these things that are kind of, you know, out there and to, and to us and to, from our perspective, that guy's insane or a heretic. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is behind us, oh, they believe these ancient things. They still do these stupid things that I can't believe. They be Why haven't they moved on? Why haven't they progressed, you know, to, to catch up to where I am? Yeah. Well, then those people are morons. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same game. We, we're playing the same game. And we end up basically saying, without saying it, but in a way we are saying it, I am the standard for all truth in the universe and I can't be wrong. And therefore... Uh, I'm going to judge you based on whether you, whether you're ahead of, you know, are you ahead of me? Are you behind me? Are you with me? If you're yeah. with me, oh, good, you're good. And this, of course, then leads to tribalism. It leads to this yeah. us and them mentality where, you know, you're, you're in or you're out, you're right or you're wrong, you're good or you're bad. Yeah. Um, and it's always based on whether or not you're, you're in my circle or not. That's right. And, and we know historically this always leads to bad things. It's the people that are convinced that they're right are the ones that burn the, the other ones to death or, or torture them or crucify them or, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, that's that's why it's dangerous for us to put ourselves in that same space yeah. um, to act that way and behave that way. Because historically, we know it's it's never worked out for good and you end up doing more evil and more harm uh, right. to people than than good. Yeah. And I think to your point, like it's it's so easy to have that that mindset in the more conservative world where many of us came from the evangelical world but you can bring it with you to where you are now you're just you're just fundamentalist but about different right. ideas about more progressive <laughs> right. ideas i remember for right. me like it, it clicked uh, maybe like a year ago i was i was having some kind of conversation on facebook or something with somebody and a lot of people were chiming in and it was like a, a a conversation about a very progressive idea, but there are a lot of people in there talking about how it needs to be done and how it needs to be believed. And I thought to myself, like, wait a minute, I came, I came out here into the wilderness to get away from all of these gatekeepers, but there's a lot of these gatekeepers rising up now out here. And I'm like, there, there has to be like another, another way. And I think your, your book, and I mentioned Alexander Shia before we hit record has done a yeah. lot of really invested in me and helping me kind of understand this idea of oneness that like every, yeah. everything and everyone is welcome to the table. The only person yeah. who is not welcome to the table is the one who thinks that they're right and everybody else is wrong because that person doesn't fit into the conversation, but I can learn yeah. from you. You can learn from me. We can all learn from each other and we can all be, we can all move forward together. We don't have to see eye to eye in order to move right. forward with our arms locked together. Right. And see now, especially if we've, de if you've deconstructed, right. If mm -hmm. anybody listening to this is, and I'm sure they have, if they, if they're at some stage of deconstruction, then you've already experienced how much it hurts to be rejected because you didn't agree with 
you know, the, the, the community you are in, right? Yep. So don't create new communities or new standards now where you're going to be the one kicking someone out the next, you know, you're, it'll be you doing it to somebody That's right. else. That's right. And you know, it hurts because it happened to you. So we have to rethink community on one level. So community is not based on agreement. It's mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. love. Like I, I, I love you. Uh, I accept you for who you are. And I don't need you to agree with me. And I don't need to prove that I'm right. And I don't need to prove that you're wrong. Um, I can be, and see, this is the thing too. I think you have to reach a level of um, confidence, I guess, in, in where you're at and yeah. saying it's okay yeah. to be where I'm at and that I don't need to defend it. <clears throat> I'm not insecure in that. So then I can entertain. I can, I mean, if nothing else, I can just listen to somebody who may not agree with me and say, well, I don't agree with that, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, the only way we learn is to spend time with people who disagree with us. If I'm in a room of people and they all agree with me and they all nod their head, no matter what I say, well, how am I going to grow? Right? right. So I need to be able to, to have conversations, to expose myself to people with different ideas than my own without arguing with them, without rejecting them, pushing them away mm-hmm. and, you know, declaring that they're heretics or they're wrong. And I'm right to just say, you know, I, I can listen to you and say, yeah, okay. Uh, I don't, I don't know, but you know, Hey, that's interesting. Maybe I never, maybe you tell me something I haven't thought of before. Hmm. That's all right. Um, But you know, again, I'm not going to reject you based on that. So we have to rethink community, um, not on agreement. And then again, as I say in that chapter, um, deconstructing our need to be right. That's really difficult, but I think it's really critical for us to um, recognize it's not about being right. You know, at the beginning of that chapter, I have this quote from Josh Lawson, which I have worn it out. Uh, I think I say it more than Josh does. I'm gonna, Josh even told me at some point, just take it for yourself. I just put my name on it, but I'm going to keep giving him credit where he said, um, you know, the funny thing about my worldview is no matter how many times it changes, I'm always right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where I think a lot of people are stuck. They're still in that place of, I used to believe this. And at the time I, when I believed it, I was right. But then I, then I read something and, oh, no, 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 it's this. And now I'm right. And then I defend that and argue that and beat people up for disagreeing with me on that and how stupid you are for believing that. But then, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, I changed my mind again. And now I'm right. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> you, you, yes, okay, on one level, every time you change your mind, you're always right. But the opposite is true. You were wrong before. Right. And you're probably wrong about a couple of things now and down. And then you're going to be wrong in the future. So let's just let go of some of this certainty and let's embrace some humility and let's, since we know we're probably wrong about things, then stop, stop being so certain, right? right. Richard Rohr, right. I, I use this quote in the book, Richard Rohr says, God doesn't fit into any of our boxes. So let's not waste any time defending our boxes. Yeah. What are we doing? That's what so much of theology is, is arguing about our boxes. Yeah. And God's not even in that box. Like we think he is, God's, God's not in that box. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to argue for in the book is, um, I have just found it for, true for myself. I have so much more peace and so much less anxiety and stress in my life when I'm, when I can just let go of that and not need to feel like I got to convince people um, of anything. Right. Yeah. That's really good. I think for me, like one of the most, and I said this to you in our email exchange, that one of the most freeing things for me was when, when I freed my beliefs from the cage that I had them in. And I really started (laughs) to be like less, concerned with what people, what people thought about me, what people thought about what I believed and how my faith was, was growing. And like when I was in, I went to a private Christian school, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary and I felt like I put 
like looking back and reflecting, I felt like I put all of my beliefs like in this protective bunker <laughs> in my heart and yeah. I yeah. put it behind lock and key and I was going to guard it with, you know, the apologetics and, you know, the arguments yeah. and the theology. Yeah. I read, I read all the books, I knew all the answers, but like now I'm in this place where like I've, I've not only have I tossed the key away in the lock, but like I've taken the door off the hinges. Like there's no more door. <laughs> like I just kind of let my beliefs <laughs> about things just kind of come and, and go as they please instead of trying to build arguments and map out God and map out theology and have this big blueprint to make sure I can prove my point. You know, when someone asks me a question and be able to protect my beliefs, I just, I just yeah. embrace the mystery and like the wonder of it all. Like so yesterday, somebody asked me a question on Facebook. It was a very direct question about what I believed about like Jesus and the resurrection and things like that. And I said, to be honest with you, I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. I have no idea. Did, did he raise from the dead? I don't know. But at the end exactly. of the day, I feel like it doesn't really affect what I believe, because I, I believe that resurrection is still possible because resurrection happens every day when a, a dead dream comes back to life, when something that you didn't think was going to happen happens. Like, I think that's what resurrection is. And it doesn't, I believe that whether or not Jesus rose from the dead or, or not, and that, that, that kind of blows people's minds sometimes. Some people can't handle that at all because they, they want to have a definitive answer. But I'm just in this place where I'm embracing that mystery. And I feel like other people might say differently, but I feel like for me, I'm in the season of my life where that's put me closer to God or the divine, whatever, than I've ever felt before. Yeah, absolutely. And see, this is the shift I think you and I are both experiencing where, you know, there was a time when we really thought, because people had convinced us of this, I've been programmed my whole life to, to believe this, <laughs> that, that what I believed about God or Jesus or what was like the stakes were the ultimate, right? If you get this wrong, you're going to roast in hell forever. You're going to lose your salvation. You're going to, God's going to reject you, whatever. And so, well, once now I've moved away from that, like, well, I don't, that God doesn't reject anybody. God is, God doesn't care about my theology, my doctrines, what I believe. Like none of, so all of that now is off the table. I, I, I believe that God is love. As it says in first John, God is love and all who live in love, live in God and God lives in them. Mm -hmm. Christ is all and is in all, it says in Ephesians, right? So I'm not worried about that. I don't believe God is this torturer he's not angry he's not wrathful okay so i've moved away from that so now the stakes have, have dropped so I, I i'm i'm not afraid to consider some different things and i don't feel like i have to get it right in my belief system to you know jump over some hurdle so that god will love me or accept me or sure. whatever so so that's one thing right um but also i've made a shift and i i'm guessing you might have as well I've made a shift away from, because you talked about like, you know, going to Bible college and seminary and, mm -hmm. and having the right answers, right? And I, I was the same way. I, I, I was way into apologetics in college and it was Josh all McDowell. about- trying, Josh McDowell. Yeah, you know, well, um, um, Norman Geisler. Um, oh, okay. Uh, when Skeptics Ask, that, I had a wow. hardback book, man, I wore that thing out. <laughs> and um, I went to a secular college, so, and I was a philosophy minor. My favorite thing was raising my hand and asking the hard questions and refuting my, my atheist philosophy professor. You were that guy. You were that guy. I was that you? guy. Yeah, I was, I was that guy. Um, but you know, so, so yeah, you know, but you do those things because you have a certain perspective on, um, truth and you get a lot of your identity from right being, having right answers and all that. Yeah. Um, but now, so anyway, I made this shift away from believing I believe now that this is wrong, that th this is an illusion. But for the longest time, so much of what I did in my theology was based on the assumption that truth was external to me. 
truth. truth was something I needed to find it. I needed to get it. I need to read that book. I needed to, or it was God. God was out there somewhere. I need to get God's attention. Oh God, please, you know, you know, listen to me, hear me. You know, I need to find this thing. And so I was, I was reading this book and studying this thing and trying to get this answer. And it was always something outside of myself. And now I'm realizing that, you know, at least I, I don't believe that anymore. I, and now I think that, um, that truth has always been within me, right? Christ abides within me. And like, you know, uh, as I abide in Christ, Christ abides in me. So the answers, the truth, um, wisdom, or even God isn't out there somewhere. It's, it's all in here, right? right. So it's within, I, I don't need to find it. I need to go search for it. I really need to just kind of be still yeah. and know and listen and wait um, and trust. That's right. um, and when I do that, then it's like, ah, then, then all those things kind of come to me in a, in, in a more natural way. And I don't have to strive for it and, and fight for it or, or earn it. And it's not something I can lose either. It's not like, yeah. Oh, I had it and then I lost it. That's actually a perfect uh, segue into my, my next uh, question, because you talk in the, in that, this chapter as well, chapter three, but how truth and uh, wisdom can be found in places outside oh, of yeah. the Bible, right? Because growing up and you probably had the same experience. I was always told, well, truth is in the Bible and you do nothing more, nothing less. That's all that's all you need. <laughs> but talk about how like books, songs, movies, conversations with friends, other religions, other texts, like there's, there's, there's truth everywhere to be found. And when we loosen our group, our, our grip on needing to kind of glean truth from that one source, the Bible and the Bible alone, are able to see truth and see wisdom, I think, in places we were never maybe expected to see it. So I'm curious, uh, in what unexpected and new places, Keith, are you finding uh, some of God's wisdom and God's truth these days? And I know, I know this is going to send us places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. This is the point where we, we cross the line into heresy. Right. Uh, I earn my hair. I'm going to earn my heretic badge. Uh, hey, I got, I got the hat book. on right here. There you go. Yeah. I yeah. Already. I guess I need one of those. Yeah. So, uh, well, great question. Um, many places. I mean, as I say in the book, I mean, I've always found inspiration and truth and wisdom and, and God in poetry and movies. Gosh, I love movies. I love watching a movie and there'll be like some profound line or a scene or a moment i'm like ah oh, that's it yes you know yeah. um but i mean uh also in like uh i mentioned black elk i just read black elk speaks a few months ago and man there's just so much beauty and truth and wisdom in that in that guy in that book um i've discovered uh the gospel of thomas i'm going i'm doing a series right now i'm writing a series called uh, it's called the inner circle that's on my uh on my patheos blog and um it's by subscription so it's like five dollars a month but uh, every week I'm publishing um, an article based on one of the sayings of Jesus from the gospel of Thomas and really loving it. It's going to be a book eventually hmm. when I complete that. And, um, but also uh, I, I was reading, um, I think I was, well, I, I came across this book called the new, new Testament. You may yes. know what that is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it includes some of the Nag Hammadi writings mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of which gospel of Thomas is one of them gospel of Philip, but there's, there's one I had never heard of before called the gospel of truth, which uh, I think scholars think a guy named Valentinus wrote it. Mm -hmm. And man, I read that thing and I was in parts of it. I was just in tears. I was like, this is so beautiful. And I'm actually kind of angry that, that, um, that this was lost to the Christian church for what 1200, 1300 something years. 
um, it was it was buried in a jar somewhere. And mm-hmm. No one, no one. And we may have never discovered it if someone hadn't dug it up in the 1940s. So, you know, when when we read that kind of stuff, uh, but even beyond that, like Socrates, I find a lot of beauty and truth in what Socrates said. Um, and I guess for people that are nervous about you and I saying these kind of things, like, what do you mean you find truth? Or I would even say I find Christ in some of these things. Yeah. Um, I, it comes from, I think, a better and a more accurate understanding of uh, everybody's, uh, all of my literalist Christian friends' favorite verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, <laughs> you know, where supposedly it says all scripture is God breathed. Um, so a few years ago, it came to my attention. Um, I think it was Chuck McKnight, actually, my friend Chuck McKnight pointed it out to me. He said, you know, if you go and look in the Greek for a second, in th- that verse in 2 Timothy, the word there is not the word, the Greek word for scripture. It's the word for the common word for the Greek word for writing, just common writing, any writings, it's graphis. Yeah. And so it, what it really says, what it actually says is all of the God-breathed writings are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when you translate it, and again, I think that is a more accurate translation of that, of that text. It, because, by the way, the word scripture doesn't appear. Let's just be honest. In your English translation, it says scripture, but it shouldn't be. In the Greek, the word scripture isn't there. It just says all the God-breathed writings are useful for these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I think that opens it up much more to, well, then what are the God-breathed writings? And I would yeah. say any writing that is useful okay. for instruction and training and righteousness and, you're, and as you are growing in your faith journey. And then, therefore, that could be yeah. Buddha or Philip or Thomas or Black Elk or Socrates or you know, uh, Tree of Life, the, the movie Tree of Life, which I think is beautiful, or, yeah. you know, The Matrix, hell, I don't know. So anything, right? <laughs> a conversation with a friend over coffee, and this is uh, this has happened to me many times too, where they will just say something, uh, you know, as we're having a conversation that seems random to them, but it just hits me like, whoa, that right there in this moment was the truth that I needed in that moment. So uh, it redefines inspiration um, as a- anything that God, any vehicle that God wants to use in any way, a song, a poem, a, fi- a film, um, a book, a writing, a conversation, it can be anything that communicates, you know, profound truth that, that in that moment that, that you needed to hear, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I have many experiences, and I'm sure you do, and many of our listeners probably could point to situations as well where man, there was just something that happened and boom, in that moment it clicked and it probably wasn't a sermon. It probably wasn't a worship song. Maybe it was, but for a lot of people, for a lot of us, we recognize we've had those experiences where um, it can just be some everyday random kind of thing where we encounter that kind of truth. And I think that's God. I think that's truth. Yeah. I've been getting, as you know, into a lot of the, the Gnostic stuff too. And I think for me, like I was always so turned off to it because I was always told or led to believe whatever that like these texts were written so far after the Uh Bible and therefore they couldn't possibly be, you know, true. And, you know, they're, they're, they have an agenda, you know, the agenda is written by these evil people who are trying to throw off the Christians. So I was like, I'm just going to stay away from that. But then when I started doing my own digging, I'm like, Oh, like I just had David Brackey on the other day, talk about the gospel of Judas. He said the gospel of Judas was written somewhere between 130 and 170. So therefore we're talking like if the gospel of John was written, let's say like a hundred, it's not that far after. So like, these are ideas that are swimming around 
in the yeah. first and second century. And so these texts, like they, they mattered to people. The ideas in these books mattered to Christians and they wrote them down and they put together these stories. And like you said, you know, they got buried, they got destroyed, whatever. But one of the ones for me that I've really been digging through recently is the gospel of Mary. Have you read that one yet? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. So there's it's one... really, I, I'm hoping that one day we find a more complete copy of it, but um, cause it's frustrating that things that are missing are, are very frustrating. Like the whole first half of what Jesus says to her. <laughs> Right. Um, but I'd love, hopefully we'll find that one day, but yeah, it's still, it's still, it's still pretty profound. Yeah. Somebody didn't want us to see that. <laughs> for I think it felt, it feels, it feels like it was on purpose. Like, it does. you know, and, and so she said, right. And then it's gone. <laughs> that is gone. But there's one part in that book where, you know, and you talked earlier about how, you know, this idea growing up, that truth is external, that truth is out there somewhere. I got to go get it. There's just one thing that Jesus says in that, in that book that really captures me. And I think he's talking to the disciples and he says that you're going to have people tell you that, you know, look for God over there, look for God over yes. here. But the son of humanity, I think he was some humanity is, is within you. And like, yes. that's where you find the truth. And like, there's so, I can think of so many instances in my own education, even me being a pastor, like telling people that, you know, you got to come to church to hear the truth. You've got to study your Bible to discover the truth. You've got to pray discover the truth. You got to read these books to discover the truth. You got to go to Bible study to discover the truth. And it's within me the whole time. It's been within me. And I think That's that right. when you, when you take that time to, to dig inside and to process and to meditate and to be alone with your, yourself and your heart and your thoughts and your past, so many things come to light that have always been in there, but you've never seen it before. And that's, that's where I'm at right now in my life. Yeah. Glenn, I'm in the same boat, man. This is really beautiful. I'm in the same boat. I, and the thing too, that, um, that I think though, what people have to overcome um, on that to accept that idea, right. Again, because I, I feel like I, I was kind of programmed um, my whole life. Um, and a lot of Christians will, will probably, even as you were talking, we're already hearing those tapes playing in, in their, in their yeah. subconscious, yeah. but all your thoughts are evil all the time, Glenn. Um, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. You can't, who can know it? Who can trust it? Right. Yep. Yep. And, um, yep. and again, even those I don't have time to go into this, but sure. um, even those verses that, that's, that's, that in your English translations will say the heart is deceptively wicked. Um you know, that was changed. If you go back to like the Septuagint version, it doesn't say the heart is deceptively wicked at all. It mm -hmm. just says that it's deep. Yeah. And I, that's not evil or wicked. It's just that it's deep. And it's, and it's, it says who can, who can uh, understand it. Meaning like it's, wow, it's really deep and profound and just like God, it's, it's this right. deep mystery. Right. But anyway, we, uh, nevertheless, we have still received that programming our whole life that mm -hmm. we can't trust ourselves. And, and it's that self-doubt that everything in me is evil and I'm so sinful. Uh, how could I know anything? Then it, then it puts you back in that place or it keeps you in that place of, well, then I have to just listen to pastor Bob. He'll lead, he won't lead me astray or the Bible. The Bible will never lead me astray. Now, not the spirit. Don't listen to the Holy spirit because actually at least in being raised Southern Baptist, <laughs> it was sort of like, well, no, no, no. You know, that that's dangerous. If you listen to the spirit of God, you know, that could, you don't know what's what you're listening to. It could be the voice of the enemy. So, you know, uh, the spirit will never contradict what's written in the scriptures. So therefore you don't need the spirit. Just, just read the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much wrong with that. Right. It's like, so you're telling me if, if the spirit of the living God, who's within me, because Christ says, you know, I abide in you and you abide in me and my sheep hear my voice, but you're telling me if I hear that voice within me, 
I should doubt it. I should not trust it. Just listen to Pastor Bob. Mm. Just trust him. He'll he won't lead you astray. What? Right. what? Uh, <laughs> uh, that, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge that idea. I don't think that that's true. And I think that actually even goes against what's written. If you want to be a, a biblicist, well, the, Jesus kind of contradicts that. So, mm. uh, but so people have to overcome that. They have to feel like they can trust themselves and, and really believe that. No, this you know the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh. So. Yes, you are capable. Everyone, young, old, men, women, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to read Greek or Hebrew. Um, you really can have this connection with God that's real and true and profound. Um, and I, that's something I think that sets people free too, when they can finally let go of that fear of them yeah. and mistrust of themselves uh, and trust themselves. Um, but that's not easy to do. All right. So there's a lot more things that we could talk about. And I... Um... Okay. I, I want, I have, I, all right. how much time do you have? <laughs> oh, I, I have plenty of time, but all before right. you ask me the next question, can I just finish something up there? I want oh to yeah, please, to please, please. A second ago. Yeah. Um, Cause when you, when you were talking about, you know, the gospel of Judas and when the dating of it, and I, I felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always told the same way. Like, you know, don't, don't read the gospel of you know, these, these Gnostic gospels, all, all the same reasons. Um, but then like I, I'm loving Gospel of Thomas right now. I'm going through that. And what I realize is that all the arguments used to discredit the Gospel of Thomas, yeah. um, you could use those same arguments to discredit the Gospel of John. Because they would say, number one, well, it, it contains new teaching that doesn't appear in the other Gospels. Yeah, so does John. <laughs> in fact, John <laughs> is almost completely unique, and it doesn't mention anything from the, those other three synoptic gospels. And it's like, well, where did this come from? So that's the first thing. Well, then they will say, well, it's, it was written much, much later than those other gospels. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's suspicious. Yeah. So was John. John was pretty late in the game. Right. And in fact, as, as you were saying, the gospel of Thomas, um, there are some scholars who would date the gospel of Thomas to have been written around the time of Mark, or at least, uh, at least prior to John, because there's, there's really good uh, evidence, uh, scholarly evidence that the Gospel of John was was directly refuting or referring to um, things said in the Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. So whoever wrote John and the Gospel of John had probably read Thomas and was reacting to it and responding to it. Yeah. So so that's you know that 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 would that, that's the same kind of thing. Like if you would reject Thomas, you'd have to reject John for the same reasons. So you know it contains new material. Um, it was late in the game, and. Damn it, I can't remember the third thing. (laughs) Brain. But anyway, all of those same disagreements and arguments that you would have against Thomas um, are things that, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna use that as criteria for rejecting this, you'd have to reject John. And and for most people, John is their favorite gospel. Mm. So, you know, uh, yeah, there's no reason really to reject um, Thomas for any of those reasons. I I I personally lean on the side that I do think that Thomas uh, probably is dated at least to the time of Mark, because it is a sayings gospel. And if it's, mm-hmm. it's not the, the Q document, which they kind of surmise must have existed, which was just a collection of sayings, but it is an example of a type of Q document. In other words, it proves that Q documents existed, which is just collections of sayings of Jesus. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no doctrine, really. There's no story. There's no narrative. There's no, it, there's no, in, nothing about the, the, you know, the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the second coming, uh, the, the final judgment it's it's really just jesus said jesus said jesus said mm. and and yet it's still pretty profound stuff if you understand it and for the first time i read through thomas 
honestly, I hated it. I thought, I thought this is stupid. It's the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever read. These, these are nonsensical sayings. They're not connected to each other. They just sound like someone trying to sound like they're wise. Uh, and I just completely rejected it until um, I read this book that completely decoded it for me. And then it was sort of like the missing key, the missing element to help it make sense to me. Um, and then, and, and all it was, was just pointing out that um, to make sense of the gospel of Thomas, you have to recognize that every one of those sayings in Thomas is Jesus speaking about um, that non-dual, about non-duality mm -hmm. and that separation is an illusion. And if you read it through, through that assumption, through that filter, all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, this makes, not only does it make sense, it makes beautiful, profound right. sense. And, um, and that's why I've been loving the gospel of Thomas ever since. Yeah. I think when you, when you're right, when you read, when you read a text like that through the lens of this is nonsense, you're, you're going to see it one way, but when you read <laughs> it through the lens of, like you said, it's not, it's talking about that non-duality piece. It, it does bring a lot of the sayings to light because and oh, yeah. I've, I've read through it too. And there's, there's, I mean, three quarters of it, even today, it doesn't make much sense to me. I'm like, I don't know what, what's going <laughs> on, but I find it fascinating anyway. But then yeah. there's other pieces that really come to life, but it comes to life when you read it through, through that lens. Is that the Duffy book that you're talking about? I think that, yes. yeah. What's the name of that book? Yeah. Do you remember? Um, it's, let me see. It's sitting right here. It's called the hidden gospel of Thomas right. by William G. Duffy. That's right. And, um, yeah, really that was the greatest thing. I, somebody sent it to me, um, I mean, I didn't buy it. Someone mailed sure. it to me, you know, kind of like look it over. And I was like, whatever. And I was on, a, I was traveling. I read it on a plane. Yeah. And when I got, by the time I got to the second chapter and he, he, he just convinced me, it was like, he showed me that, oh my gosh, that's really what this is about. And then all yeah. of a sudden I just kept reading and every page that I turned, I was like, this makes sense now. And it's beautiful and exciting. Yeah. Um, and the beautiful thing is too, it's not, it's not like, oh, this is some new strange teaching. Like, no, all of this stuff that's in Thomas is affirmed in the Gospel of John, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in First John. All of this, all of these things that are that made it into the New Testament that continue to affirm that Christ is all and is in all, and that um, you know that we can't be separated from Christ, and all these kind of things. And and so it's really exciting. It's just beautiful to see, like, yeah, this these ideas were capturing the imagination of early Christians yeah. um, in the first and second centuries, and and did so for a long time until, of course, um, I guess it was Athanasius who decided uh, that once he had authority from Constantine, he could decide that these books are in and that means these books are out and uh, burn these books. And thankfully, somebody decided uh, in Egypt not to burn them, but to bury them in a jar. And That's we right. found them. That's right. So good. All right, Keith, last question for you. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of other things, like I said, we could talk about. You talk about quantum physics in your book and yeah. quantum theology. I mean, there's a whole whole basket of things we could dip into, but what's one thing that you'd want to kind of bring us to a close with that we didn't touch on that you want our listeners to know about from the book? One last topic. Right. Well, they, like you said, there's so much. I tried to pack this thing as, as full as I could with so many cool, cool and fun and interesting ideas. Yeah. Um, like, I know we don't have time to get into it, but I just want to say like that idea space thing, that whole chapter about idea space, yeah. I still find that so fascinating. But I'm just going to tease people with that. Um, the thing I think I I, I would want to leave people with, to me, this is a real key thing, a real key takeaway in the book, um, is this idea of once you realize um, this idea that non-duality, you know, uh, that we, we are not separated from God or from one another, 
And when you realize truth is not outside of yourself, but it's it's actually within you. Um, I, I hope that what this does, and, and this idea of embracing mystery, all of this combined, I, I hope that what this does for people is allow them to finally at least entertain the possibility, if not fully, fully embrace it, um, the idea that you need to be your own guru, that, that I don't want anybody to, to believe anything because Keith said so, or, or Brian's on, or, you know, Richard Rohr, or, you know, pick, pick your favorite guru or mm -hmm. author or, or thinker or teacher, as much as I love and appreciate all of those people. Yeah. Um, but to say, you know, I, I guess I realize it comes down to every one of us needs to have our own relationship, our own real actual experience and connection with God, the divine, whatever you want to call it. And it can't be borrowed. Like you shouldn't be borrowing, you know, that from me or Richard Rohr or Brian Zahn or Bono or Oprah or whoever. Um, because, you know, one day we are all going to die and we're going to pass on the other side of the veil. And you can't bring those guys with you. You can't bring any books with you or podcasts or anything else. It's just you and God in that moment. And, and the truth is, it's, that's what it is right now. Right. So. So go ahead and start now figuring out for yourself directly, what is your connection with the divine? What is your relationship with God? Um, you know, how are you dancing with this mystery? Um, and don't, don't allow someone else to do it for you. I don't think we can afford to do that. I think we really do need to begin now discovering really truly for ourselves, what is true for us in this moment. Um, and I think, Hopefully, by following down this path of embracing the mystery, um, we, we everybody for themselves can figure out, you know, what makes sense right now, and it's going to change again. Don't 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 let the cement harden. Okay, keep keep an open hand on these things, but begin now. Begin here where you're at, wherever that is, and begin that connection, that 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 relationship with God now, um, and then just kind of see where it takes you, see where it goes, because I, it will be a journey, and I think it will be breathtaking. That's right. Yeah, I think a lot of the people, I think one of the bigger criticisms I've come across in my own journey in this season is that, well, you're just saying anything goes. You're just saying everything is, well, everything is good and, you know, there's nothing gets turned away or whatever. And that's just not, not a good way to live your life. I'm like, I'm not saying that at all. Like, what I'm saying is that, like you said, like, I am my own guru. And so people want to yeah. like to hear that. But I think it's when you come to realize that, like, like we said earlier, that truth resides within you. Yeah. The Christ resides within you. There's a voice, a divine spark, a divine breath, whatever. It's in there. And once yes. you start to listen to it, you'd start to discover different truths that I think that 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 have always been there, but you just haven't yeah. been able to recognize them and hear them. And I think one of the reasons why I love the Gnostic text so much, and people ask me a lot, is like, why do you love this stuff so much? And I think, I think half of it's crazy. Sometimes I read something, I, I yes. don't know, what, this person like on an acid trip? Like what in the world is going on? This doesn't make any sense to me at all. But what I love right. about it is that it shows the diversity in mm. the early church. It shows that not everybody thought the same. Not everybody understood things the same. And therefore, like, I feel much more confident to take my step in that line of people and yes. understand things the way I understand them for me. And, and sometimes gospel mary says this judas says this thomas says this other things say this this that makes sense this doesn't make sense i like this and i piece it together and now i have this understanding yeah. of god that that just really makes sense for me 
And yes. that's just such a freeing thing to come to. And you can't force somebody into that. You can't force a listener. You can't say you have to, this is what you have to do. You have to come to that realization yourself. And I think once you come to that realization, you drop your guard, you allow yourself to enter these different places, uh, a lot of different chains fall free. That's been my experience. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And because yeah. again, it's not about, I mean, I, I mean, along with in heretical character, I guess, I, what do I have to <laughs> Why <lose>? not? <laughs> uh, because I mean, honestly, there's things that I read in, in the gospels or in, in, not in the gospels so much, but in, in Paul, certainly um, that I will read some of it. I love, yeah. um, but some of it, I go, eh, no, not so much. Like uh, I'll just use an example. And by the way, this also bleeds over into a lot of the Gnostic texts too, but Paul like some of the Gnostic writers, um, you know, people back then in the first, second centuries, um, they believed, they fully believed in archons. They believed in these basically like um, angel or angelic spiritual beings mm -hmm. that were sort of like um, governors over certain regions. So there was an angelic archon over Israel. There was an, or Jerusalem. There was a, uh, an angelic archon over Rome. There was an angelic archon over Spain or mm -hmm. Africa or whatever. And, and they kind of acted almost independently. Like, in other words, like they weren't, they, it wasn't like God was telling them all what to do. They had free will like we do. And some of them were good. Some of them were neutral and some of them were maybe not so good. Maybe mm -hmm. they were evil or selfish and they were, they had power and they could sort of control. So this is what Paul is talking about when he says the principalities and powers of the air, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and by the way, if you read David Bentley Hart's New Testament, his new translation of the New Testament in his notes, he'll point those out how often um, what Paul is referring to in some of his letters are these archons and others. He really did believe in these sort of angelic powers and beings. And then you see it creeping in in these Gnostic texts as well. And so on the one hand, I could say absolutely Paul and whoever wrote Thomas and Philip and Mary and uh, these other texts, they did too. They also believed and they'll mention these archons and these mm -hmm. angelic beings and things like that. But here's, here's the, here's the, uh, here's the deal. I can acknowledge that, that Paul believed that and other people believe that, but I don't have to, I can say, I think that's stupid. I don't believe in that. Like, yeah. and I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in archons. I, I think that's, that's a made up thing. I don't think that's real at all. Um, do I, now am I saying I'm certain and I know, no, I'm not, but I'm just saying, I kind of don't buy into that. Sure. And I'm allowed sure. to do that. I can say, well, I know that Paul believed that, but I, I don't, I choose not to. Yeah. Um, and you can do this with anything. And I, by the way, I think we all do this. Uh, we should anyway. Um, we read something, we hear something, and we determine for ourselves, do I believe that? Do I think that's real and true? And, and you have permission to decide for yourself. Like, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I, I think, I do think that is true. Yeah. Or yeah, no, I kind of don't. And that's right. okay. That's uh, right. It's not all or nothing. We, we, we have the ability to discern these things for ourselves. And I think it's, it's a really good and healthy thing for us to figure that out. That's so good. Keith, we have overshot 40 minutes. Big time. It's okay. <laughs> thank you. I want to, <laughs> but we got, we got to wrap it up, but thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Um, I really, like I said, I love this book. I think it's one of your most important books. Listeners go buy it. I'll put it in the show notes, but thank you, Keith. I really appreciate your, your time. Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. And real quick, do you want to point our listeners to any particular aspects of your work online that you'd like them to go visit or invite them to explore? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so my blog is keithgiles.com over on mm -hmm. Patheos. Um, I do, uh, I'm a co-host of Heretic Caviar podcast. Um, Matthew Stefano and I also do the Apostates Anonymous podcast, which is a lot of fun. And I have a solo podcast called Second Cup with Keith. Uh, all of those available anywhere you uh, consume podcasts. 
And my books are on uh, Amazon, Kindle and print and audiobook and all that. And uh, I'm on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Happy to interact with any of your listeners over there. Awesome. I love the heretic happy hour and then apostate. It's like when you're, you move on from heretic, now you're ready yeah. to graduate to seminary. Yes. <laughs> apostates. <Yeah. laughs> love apostates, it. yes. Awesome. Well, I'll put the links in the show notes, Keith. Thanks a lot, Glenn. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed wish- something fancy. Wish you on a pot on go with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wish you not had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go ahead and run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other same most beat on my chest. Wishing for my people. Wish you had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. It is beat neat. Everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. I wish. I wish.